Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. Um, so our first reading today is going to come from Isaiah. We're going to be reading in chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Uh, that's on page 1068 of the um, NIV in your pews. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I have lived among a people of unclean lips, and my king's eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he, took, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell, the, tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged. Thanks, Ruth. Hey, good everyone. It's nice to see you all here tonight. Um, I'm Jacko, or Simon, lead pastor here at City Light. Um, just before uh, we hear from our reading tonight in the book of Acts, we'll just sort of give you a little sort of intro into the reading before we get into that. We are, as Ruth said, uh, in the last instalment, the 35th instalment, am I right, Andrew Tran? 35th instalment of the book of Acts as we've been tracking through this wonderful narrative of the first 30 years of the church uh, in the first century, uh, and we watched the gospel explode out of Jerusalem. Uh, tonight we come to the last one. We come to Acts 27, 28. And I've got a question that I just want to put up on the screen. Here it is. How did Christianity change the world? The series we've been running with is how God used the church to change the world. Uh, but I want to ask, this is a question. How did Christianity change the world? How did it change the world? Some people think that Christianity changed the world because the Romans in the Roman Empire had such amazing roads that they built. The technology they had, you know, this is 2,000 years ago, was pretty impressive. The roads they created and built around the Mediterranean throughout the Roman Empire were quite impressive and allowed for people to journey from city to city, trading, economy and things like that, but also perhaps allowed for the easy transit of people uh, between cities to allow the good news of Jesus to kind of get out and impact heaps of people. That's one thought. The other thought, other theories are the Greek language. So if you know, in the Roman world in the first century, Greek, Koine Greek was the language of that area. And pretty much everyone was speaking Greek. And so that kind of made it, you can imagine, right? There was no huge language barriers to overcome. So the gospel could be written down, sent out, spoken, and sort of shared quite easily. So if you imagine Roman roads and similar language, maybe that's how the gospel got out. Um, before I speak any more on how the gospel changed the world, I want you to turn to the person next to you for about a minute and see if you can come up with the answer to that question. How did Christianity 
change the world. See what you come up with. Go. Give me one minute. Talk to the people around you. Go. All right. I won't ask you to sort of shout out your answer just yet. We might, we'll come, well, we'll come maybe to the answer to that question a bit later in tonight's sermon. I think Acts 27, in particular Acts 28, I think comes really close to giving us the kind of, I would say, definitive answer uh, to that question. How did Christianity change the world? Today, when we open the Bible, come to Acts 27, 28, we find ourselves in Malta. There's a map on the screen. There's little Malta down there. Um, we're in Acts 27. That's where Mal- we're in Malta in that particular chapter. AD 59, a few years ago now, end of this 30-year history of the establishment of the church as the gospel movement went out from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to Crete to Syria to Greece to Macedonia, etc. Paul on the verge of Rome, this great apostle, the great messenger of the gospel on the verge of getting to Rome, that sort of little up in the top left there in Italy, um, on the verge of stepping onto that continent, and, and then he decides, no, nope, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem, so down to the bottom right-hand corner. He wants to go back there to deliver a gift. When he goes to Jerusalem, he's accused of being a troublemaker. Now, if you're a troublemaker in Roman times, that doesn't go well for most people. Most people would never come back again after they've sort of been accused of that. Paul gets arrested, he gets imprisoned, he remains in custody. Um, he's sent to Rome to face the crazy emperor Nero. In this section, uh, Paul is ultimately on his way back to Rome. He gets shipwrecked. He takes a 10-day walk uh, from a place called Puteoli um, via the Appian Way, stops at a few taverns along the way for a chicken parmigiana or something like that, I don't know, um, on his way to Rome. This whole time, right, the cause of the gospel has been inching towards Rome, which is many times in this time it was considered like the ends of the earth, like the beginning, the end of the area. Paul, though, is bound and in chains, but the gospel is not bound or in chains. Um, it is not changed. The, go- the, chain- the gospel is unhindered, unstoppable. And that's where we pick up our reading today, Acts 28, verse 11 to 31. Love you to turn that up. Ruth's going to come and she's going to bring us that reading. All right, so back into Acts 28, 11 through 31. We're in page 1743 of the Bibles in your pew. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there for three days. From there, we set sail and arrived in Regum. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they had traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me, because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people have come from there have reported or said anything bad about you. But we wanted to hear what your views are, 
for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning until evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to, to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will, never be, ever, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented home and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ without, with all boldness and without hindrance. Thanks heaps, Ruth. Do please uh, keep Acts 28 open, if you would, in front of you. Um, one of the things I like to do when I come to the Bible is, is ask questions of the text um, and sort of wonder why things are left in, why things are left out. And the question I have right at this point as we've come to the end of that reading is, why does Luke, Luke writes the book of Acts, um, he also wrote the Gospel of Luke, uh, which we have in our Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are the four Gospels accounting for the life of Jesus. Um, why does Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, Oh, up here. Sorry, mate. I've never known anyone to be so dehydrated all the time, apart from my son, Sebastian. There you go, Sebastian, everyone. There you go. Love the fella. But he's just like, you know, if he goes to bed, right, he's been drinking all day, and you hear this, Dad, I need water. What up? Why is it? When bedtime comes, there's just this awesome dehydration that kicks in. Anyway, that's not what Luke's writing about. Why, why is it, right? Why does Luke... The author of the book of Acts has compiled this history, you know, put things that he believes we really need to know into this text, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Why does Luke end Acts with Paul still alive in Rome, under arrest in prison for two years, waiting for trial? Why does he do that? It's not really the greatest end, is it, to the life and the story of the Apostle Paul? Some people believe it's, uh, this is evidence that Acts was written sort of in this very period, um, so before Paul was tried and put on trial before Nero and then executed, uh, because surely if Luke knew, right, that Paul had been tried before Nero and then executed, he would have, you know, kind of included that in his narrative, maybe. Ending with Paul's trial and execution, right, may have made for a better end to Paul's biography but I'm not sure it would have made a better end to the history of the gospel. Why? Because I think if Luke had ended with the trial and execution of the Apostle Paul, it might have sent the impression, right, that the gospel of Jesus Christ was somehow bound to the Apostle Paul, that the fate of the gospel was tied to the fate of the Apostle. It would end up being a story about the glorious demise of the Apostle Paul, but that's the last thing that Luke, the author of Acts, wants to say. Because Acts isn't really about Paul at all. Acts isn't actually about the apostles at all. The book of Acts is about the, the gospel. From its origins in Jerusalem to its international future launched out of the city of Rome. And it's in that sense that these final paragraphs of the book of Acts are wonderful and perfect for conveying that theme. 
So firstly, what I just want to think about really briefly tonight is the Jewish origins of the gospel. That's what I want to start with, the Jewish origins of the gospel. It's interesting, isn't it, that this final chapter of Acts, Luke makes it really clear that the origins of the gospel are Jewish. Notice the first thing that Paul does, chapter 28, verse 17. Once he gets to Rome, after a couple of counter meals with Christians in Rome, he meets with the Jewish leaders. Why? Because that's where the gospel had come from. So he has to call the, together the leaders, the Jewish leaders in Rome together. And when he has the Jewish leader, he stresses, when he has the Jewish leaders in front of him, he stresses the Jewishness of the gospel. So in verse 20, he says, It is because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound in these chains. In other words, Paul says, The reason I am in chains is entirely to do with what Israel, God's original people, longed for the coming of the Messiah, the Christ, to fulfill the promises and the prophecies of God. Paul, have a look at chapter 28, verse 23, really kind of drives this home. After they had set a day to meet with him, they came to him at his lodgings in great numbers. From morning until evening, he explained the matter to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them that Je- about Jesus, get this, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. It's from the law of Moses, kind of the first five books of the Bible, and from the prophets, a whole lot of the rest of the Old Testament, that Paul sought to persuade these people about Jesus, that he was the promised Messiah. You're trying to understand the Christian faith. I don't know if you're here tonight. It's great to see a lot of unfamiliar faces. If you're here tonight and you're kind of here exploring the Christian faith, or maybe you're new to the Christian faith, it's actually difficult to understand the Christian faith without understanding a fair bit of the Old Testament. I think I've used this illustration before, right? It's a bit like, you know, when you go, I don't go to many parties, right? But, you know, because I'm a bit old. But, you know, you know when you go to a party and you're a bit late and you know, people are having lots of good conversations and you see a few people, you go, oh, yeah, I know those guys, Liam and Lauren and Renee. And you walk up and they're having this great conversation. And I just sort of waltz in and just sort of stand there awkwardly and they're chatting. And then, you know, the punchline comes and, like, Renee goes, like, she's laughing because it was funny. And I go, ha, it's really great. And they're going, Simon, why are you laughing? You had no idea about the first part of the story. When I was in, uh, when I was in high school, I wasn't very good at maths. I might have shared this one as well. I wasn't, I wasn't good at maths, so I got moved to another maths class, I think the one sort of down a few rungs. And uh, my maths teacher, um, you know, was, I walked in, new kid, you know, the one of the thicker kids on the block. So I walked in, sat down, first day in this new class, and the teacher's telling this story, and all of a sudden the class just erupted in laughter. And I just sort of looked around, you're like, peer pressure, right? So I started joining in. The teacher says, quiet. Simon, why are you laughing? You weren't here yesterday. I was devastated. Isn't that a wonderful way to welcome a new... If you're a teacher out there, don't do that. But, like, that's all that. Like, here's, like, this is therapy for me to write. You know, there you go. Um, if you walk into a conversation at a party and you've missed the first part, like, you know, you, you can't quite, you can hear, you can understand the words that people are saying, perhaps, but you don't really know fully what it's all about. You know, even in this final chapter of the book, the international, world-changing spread of the gospel. Luke stresses the Jewish origins of the gospel. And my point for us here tonight is that if we want to appreciate more deeply the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
It'd be good for us to more deeply appreciate the Old Testament, God's text, which all points to Jesus. The origin of the gospel is the Jewish nation of Israel, but the future of the gospel is among all the nations. So secondly, the international future of the gospel. Picking up at verse 25 of chapter 28. They disagreed with each other, and as they were leaving, Paul made one further statement. Somehow Paul really gets up their noses. You get a sense of how. Look at this. The Holy Spirit was right, he's saying to these people, in saying to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah, go to this people and say, you will indeed listen but never understand, and you will indeed look but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, it's grown hard, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes so they might not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. These words are from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6. The original context of Isaiah chapter 6 is God speaking to the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus came to planet Earth, God in the flesh. Uh, the, the prophet Isaiah, when it comes to church effectively one Sunday actually not really expecting to meet with God on that particular Sunday, but he is overwhelmed with a vision of God. He's struck down. He realises, I am unworthy. I am unclean. I am, basically, I'm stuffed because I'm in the presence of God. And yet God gets a coal from the mercy seat, puts it on his lips, atones for his sin, and says, stand up. And then God is looking around going, who's going to go? Who's going to tell the good news that I save sinners to the world? And what does Isaiah go? He goes, here I am. Send me. He's just... He's just encountered the, the beauty and the holiness and the majesty of God. He's just had his sins forgiven and he's like, I'll do anything for you. Here I am. Send me. But the, the, the prophecy that we have recorded in Isaiah 6 that was read just before, that I just read then, basically is, okay, Isaiah, you do that. But you're actually going to be one of the most unsuccessful prophets in Israelite history. Actually, you're going to be a bit of a failure. Imagine that. You know, you're, you're, you're calling before God is to spend a lifetime preaching and no one will listen. A few years ago, right, um, Billy Graham, people know Billy Graham, um, Billy Graham died, went to be with the Lord. He spent a lifetime really preaching the good news of Jesus. He, apparently he preached the good news to like 250 million people and, and thousands of people got saved, came to know the forgiveness of sins and eternal life through Jesus, through his work. Amazing ministry. But not for Isaiah. Not for Isaiah. It's interesting though that in Mark chapter 4, Jesus quotes exactly that same passage, Isaiah chapter 6. He uses it to highlight the fact that the Pharisees whom he's speaking to are kind of not really receiving the message very well. So it's not surprising, right, that Paul picks it up. He must have known that Jesus cited that passage when he was speaking in that similar context and that he knows the passage of Isaiah really well. He would use it well to describe what was happening to his preaching. The big point of course, is that the nation of Israel had a history of rejecting the good news that God sent to them. But the Gentiles, the, the nations of the world, on the other hand, they'll embrace it. That's why Acts chapter 28, verse 28, really is kind of the punchline and probably the thing that really gets up the noses of these Jewish leaders, um, causing them to kind of just walk out. Because Paul says this, verse 28, let it be known to you 
then that this salvation of God, centred on the person of Jesus, has been sent to the Gentiles, to the nations, and they will listen. They didn't like that. But with that, the international future of the gospel is clear. And Paul also says it is unstoppable, unhindered. That's the thing. Now, the Apostle Paul, right, we ultimately know that he did get executed. He, he, he lost his life in the cause of the gospel. The Apostle Paul was probably amongst the thousands of Christians who were executed by the Emperor Nero during the period 64 to 65 AD. Thousands of Christians. That's a recent picture of Nero. Um, that's him. We have an account from um, the Roman historian Tacitus about what uh, the treatment of Christians um, at the hands of Nero. Listen to this. Nero punished with the utmost refinement of cruelty a class hated for their abominations who were commonly called Christians. Besides being put to death, they were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clothed in hides of beasts and torn to death by dogs. Others were crucified, others set on fire to serve to illuminate the night when daylight failed. Nero had thrown open his grounds for the display and was putting on a show in the circus where he mingled with the people in the dress of a charioteer or drove about in his charity, chariot. Paul was probably among those thousands. And Luke almost certainly knows that. But that's not the story he wants to tell. Luke wants us to take our eyes off the imprisoned Paul, off the executed Paul, onto the unhindered gospel, off the chained and restricted Paul, and onto the unchained, unstoppable gospel. Look at the way Luke ends this this whole epic narrative, verse 30 and 31. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and under guard and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and the teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. As a biography of Paul, it's terrible. It's awful, isn't it? But as a statement about the gospel, it's simply brilliant. The final word of Paul The book of Acts in both our English and also the original Greek translation is really beautiful and deliberate and perfect. It's the word archalutos, which means unhindered, unstoppable. Not Paul, but the preaching and the power of the gospel is unhindered. One commentator on this uh, says in his commentary, quote, I almost feel like saying bravo to this final adverb. Unhindered, unstoppable. Absolutely. I mean, what an end. What an end. I mean, whatever the fate of Paul and the apostles, the most important thing for Luke is that the gospel of Jesus makes its way to Rome. That's all Paul wanted. Paul really didn't care about what happened to him. He just wanted to make sure the gospel got to Rome and so then the gospel could go to the ends of the earth. The gospel franchise right at Rome had settled in, set up shop, was open for business on the international stage. That's what this is all about. We actually have very little information about what happened to the apostles in the end. Um, A little bit outside the New Testament, that's all. 
But the New Testament pushes our emphasis onto the unhindered, unstoppable gospel, not the fate of the apostles. And here I reckon, right, we find, I think, what could be the definitive explanation for Christianity's extraordinary success in the first century, and I think, hopefully, our success in this modern day. How did Christianity change the world? Are you ready for the answer? Here it comes. The gospel. Anyone get that right? A few people willing to go? Yeah, door prizes for you tonight. In the end, right, that's, that's the only thing that explains the extraordinary and miraculous and world-changing expansion of Christianity. It's the message itself. Unhindered, unstoppable. The message pre- preached and proclaimed by ordinary men and women all over the Mediterranean. The message preached. Rodney Stark, he's an atheist philosopher who has written a book called The Rise of Christianity, in that book he just basically says this is the key thing to the expansion of Christianity across the globe. The rise of Christianity can be boiled down to one simple phrase, for God so loved the world. It was revolutionary stuff that a slave and a noble person realised they were both made in the image of God and could greet one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Christianity gave to its converts their humanity. Extraordinary message that Christians preached is the reason for Christianity's extraordinary success. The same is true today. The same is true today. It's not just a reality that belonged to the the first 30 years of the church or the, the first couple of hundred years. It's the truth that exists today. The key to Christianity's progress was not Finances. The key to Christianity's progress was not a building, or in our case, like a lack of a building. It was not our music. It was not our technology. It was not our lack of technology. The key is the gospel message itself, that God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, that he would come into the world, into our mess, into our brokenness, live the life that we could not live, die the death that we deserve, and then rise again to secure our forgiveness and our eternal life. God grows his church through the gospel. The message of Christ's life, his teaching, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his return, our salvation. While there are many factors leading to people embracing the gospel, the announcement of the gospel is fundamental. I don't know about you, but one of the things that I've loved about studying the book of Acts has just been, again, seeing the power of the good news as it's just proclaimed by ordinary men and women at homes, across the dinner table, in the marketplace, um, to people who would consider themselves religious, to people who would consider themselves completely irreligious. We've seen all the way through the power of the gospel. And you know what's been, I think, a key feature is that you've just had men and women who've just been captivated by Jesus, who've just been in awe of what God has done for them. They've just been in wonder at the person and work of Christ. You know, the real question, I think, as we come to the end of the book of Acts, 35th instalment, I think the key question at this moment right now in the life of City Light Church North Adelaide isn't about our church finances. It's not about our building or our lack of a building or where we're going to meet. 
It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and whether we've maintained our wonder at what he's done for us. Wonder at the news that our creator entered into our world, lived the life we could not live, died the death that we deserve, rose again to overcome the consequences of sin so that we might be free, forgiven and have eternal life. If we lose our wonder, right, we'll lose our way in pretty much everything. So I want us to leave today, and we're having an Acts like after party at our place tonight. And I want to ask the question, right? Have you have you lost your wonder? Have you lost your wonder? The miracle of God, saving sinners like us. Because if you're captured by the gospel, everything flows, right? I'm not wanting you to kind of leave here going, right, I'm just going to, I'm going to go out this week and I'm going to try harder to feel more awe and wonder at what Jesus has done for me. You know, I'm going to try harder. I'm saying I want you just to, just to remember what God has done and recapture the wonder. You know, please don't hear me saying either, you know, we must recapture the wonder of the gospel or else the gospel message will be hindered. It will come to a stop in our world as if it's all about us, right? No way. I mean, if there's one thing that Luke wants to teach us in the book of Acts, it's that whatever happened to the apostle or whatever happened to the church, the gospel is what? Archelutos. It is unstoppable, unhindered. So much so, in the big scheme of things, I hope I I don't get in trouble with this from our elder candidates, right? It kind of doesn't really matter about our who's on staff or who's not. It doesn't matter if we meet budget you know, if we sort of fall down in that way. doesn't matter if we never find that beautiful building somewhere in North Adelaide where we can do everything that we kind of want to do. Because the fate of the gospel is not tied to the fate of City Light Church North Adelaide, just as it wasn't tied to the fate of the Apostle Paul. The gospel cause goes on with or without us. But wouldn't you prefer it to be like with us, be part of it? Um, I was, used to work at a church in North Adelaide here in the city. Well, not in North Adelaide. I'm still working at one in North Adelaide. Um, in Norwood, uh, in the eastern suburbs. And uh, on, the, on the back wall of the church in Norwood was this enormous stained glass window. It was that one there. It's coming up. There you go. Don't you love stained glass windows? Aren't they beautiful? That, that's the stained glass window that was behind, you know, so where you are sitting now was there, right? That's what it was. And I was in that church for years, right? And I would, I would not often sit where you are. I'd be doing this sort of stuff a lot, so I didn't get to see it. But I, it was one day I was just like staring at the back wall on my own in the church, because that's what pastors do, right? They just sit around staring at walls. No, and I was staring at that wall, and I was like, you know what? I was you know, just sort of staring at it and going, wow, I never noticed the scene that's depicted on that stained glass window. Do you know what the scene is that's depicted on the stained glass window, like that top part? Can you see it? That's Jesus in the middle, surrounded by his disciples. Moments before he's about to ascend to the right hand of God, after he's laid his life down for the sins of the world, taken his life back up again through the power of resurrection, and he's about to ascend to the right hand of God and then pour out his spirit on his people, they would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That's a picture of Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. 
You know, I've given you, all, all authority has been given to me for you to go, and as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you to the end of the age. And I was sitting there going, that's spectacular. It's a beautiful window, and I love Jesus, and I love the Great Commission. But you know what I was thinking about? Like, the idea, I think people thought long and hard, what are we going to put on that window? So that when people like you guys, if you were in that place, you know, you're kind of going, wow, this preacher goes on forever and ever and ever. I'm just going to stare at that window and forget what he's saying. So that when you would look at that, irrespective of what the preacher was saying, you'd go, that's the Great Commission. And so as you sat in that church year after year after year or day after day, you would look at that and go, there's a, there's a world out there. And I've got to tell the world about Jesus. It only occurred to me really late in the piece, but I think it's a wonderful thought. Here's another picture. This is the exit of the Anglican church in Forbes in country New South Wales. So as you leave the church, you read that sign above your head. You are about to enter the mission field. Isn't that great? As a reminder of, you know, you've gathered together as God's people, You've sung great hymns about the Lord Jesus Christ. You've, you've heard the gospel proclaimed. You've celebrated the Lord's Supper, reminded that you're a, a wretched sinner saved by grace, empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and tell the world that Jesus is the solution to our greatest problem, which is our sin, and you can have a relationship with God forever, and you leave and you go, I know what I'm here for. Heading out into the mission field, wherever that mission field might be, your workplace, your home, your university, your classroom, whatever it might be. That the mission goes on because the gospel is unstoppable. Here's another picture. Anyone recognise that? That's us. We don't have a funky sign over the door. We don't have a stained glass window yet. We could raise some money for that maybe. I don't know. But you know what? I don't think we need it. I don't think we need the sign above the door. I mean, I'm not saying it's not a bad thing. We don't need a beautiful stained glass window, although they are beautiful, because we have the Word of God. Many of us here today know the good news of Jesus. We've experienced his grace. We've been stood on our feet again to make him known in the world. And I want to say today, God's Word convinces me, and I think history would prove it, there is no greater cause you could give your life to than to the cause of Jesus Christ. The gospel, unhindered, unstoppable. Should we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for all the good things you give us. Thanks, Father, for your word. Lord, we thank you that um, as we've studied your word over these last, uh, what seems like many weeks, Lord, uh, Father, we've just seen you at work um, saving lives through the good news of Jesus. Father, we thank you again for the reminder throughout Acts and as we've landed in this chapter, Lord, that um, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection and his return, Father, we thank you that that's not bound up with one individual person or even one individual church. We thank you that your word is unstoppable. 
And Lord, thank you again tonight afresh for the privilege that it is to, to, have been known, to be known by you, that you have saved us. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that just as you worked through and used ordinary men and women in the first century, in the first 30 years of the church, you continue to use men and women today, captured by your grace, to make Jesus known. And Father, we pray that we would be a church that continues to be devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to the gospel. And Father, we realise again tonight there is no greater cause to be part of than to be part of making Jesus known in this city and to the ends of the earth. So Lord, would you help us burn your word in our hearts? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.